All right, let's pray. God, we pray that you would send out your word with power tonight, that it would go deep in our hearts, that your Holy Spirit would transform us, that we would exalt you by honoring your word as we're transitioning from worshiping you in song to worshiping you by giving attention to who you are and to who you've revealed yourself to be. We pray that you would help us to be receptive to the the truth that you want to speak to our hearts tonight. So have your way with us, and it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> All right, so Wednesday nights, we're doing a recap of what we've been covering through the Bible uh, in a year, and we're doing it as a church. So this week took us from Mark chapter 5, I think it was, all the way through Luke chapter 1 this morning. Next week's going to take us a little over halfway through the book of Luke. Um, and so we're getting to see the Gospels at high speed, which is great, because we're getting to watch four different perspectives of who Jesus is. Um, very complementary perspectives, not contradictory, but uh, they're going to help us get a more rounded picture in terms of who Christ is. And so, um, I'm good. Um, so the Gospel of Mark, uh, most Bible scholars would say probably uh, it was more or less narrated to Mark by Peter, or kind of Peter helped Mark by saying, hey, here's what I saw, here's where it was at. So it's, it's not directly written by an eyewitness, but it has that feel of an eyewitness account because uh, the guy who was there is the one telling it to the guy writing it down. And so Mark gives us a very fast-paced account, uh, which is kind of in keeping with what we know about Peter's personality as a whole. So Mark uses the word immediately, uh, pretty much nonstop. It's the shortest gospel. It's 16 chapters. Uh, I think the word immediately is in there about 46 times. Um, it's just going boom, boom, boom. Jesus did this, Jesus did this, Jesus did this, Jesus did this. Okay, here's what happened. If you need the bullet points of who Jesus is, what he did, what the overall picture of the gospel is, that's Mark. It's bullet points. I like it because I like bullet points. Um, Mark was written more or less to a more Roman audience, whereas Matthew was written to a much more Jewish culture. And so we see that in Mark. Mark will explain a little more along the way. He'll say, you know, the Pharisees were mad at Jesus because he didn't wash his hands. And then he'll kind of put a little parenthetical note, and he'll say, because the Jews always wash their hands before they eat. And so he's kind of giving details to a different culture. And so in some ways, it makes it relevant to us, too, because we're not from a Jewish culture. We're not from even an Eastern culture. And so we're approaching uh, the Bible just from a, from a different perspective. And so Mark can be really eye-opening in that way, too. But um, as we're looking at Mark on the whole, and as I was just praying through and reading it this, this time, um, what really stands out is how many different interactions Jesus has with different people. And you know, the Gospel of Matthew gives us a ton of emphasis on the prophecies Jesus fulfilled. Luke is going to give us a ton of emphasis on the miracles he did. They all give us a lot of the miracles, but Luke gives a lot of you know, the miracles of Jesus. And we're going to see a little bit of Jesus' humanity in Luke. John's going to give us a lot of Jesus describing himself and you know, making sure that we all know that he's the one who was sent. John can't stop quoting Jesus as saying, I'm sent. Okay? But Mark, we get to see a lot of Jesus' interactions. A lot of Jesus, just, you know, people coming up to Jesus, Jesus coming up to people, and the dialogues there, and the interactions. And that's just really fascinating to me, because you get to see so many different concepts, so many different ideas that are illustrated um, in a lot of ways more powerfully than they would be in just a straight-up monologue um, or a straight-up sermon. So, um, overall, if you want kind of a, you know, a theme of the Gospels, uh, in terms of our response to the Gospels, you know, what are we supposed to get out of the Gospels? Um, if you go to Mark 8.34, you don't necessarily have to turn there right now. 
But it says, and he summoned the crowd with his disciples and said to them, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And we talked about this verse because more or less, Matthew gives us the same quote of Jesus's. And it's that idea that Jesus is here to build a kingdom. Jesus is here to establish something new. And he's saying, I am inviting everyone to be part of it. Here's what you do. You deny yourself, you take up your cross and follow me. You let go of you and you come after me. And so that's the overall theme of the Gospels in terms of how do we respond, what do we do with the Gospels, okay? We deny ourselves, take up the cross, and follow Jesus, all right? So tonight what I want to do is we're going to look, uh, we're going to be in Mark chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 17, if you want to turn there. Uh, we're going to read from verse 17 through to the end of the chapter. And we're going to get to watch Jesus interact with a couple different people back to back. And I think there's some really, uh, just some really solid insights in terms of how we approach Jesus and what does it mean when Jesus says deny ourselves and follow him. So, um, so in Mark chapter 10 verse 17 it starts out and it says and he was setting out on a journey I'm sorry as he was setting out on a journey a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him good teacher what shall I do to inherit eternal life. So notice first off this guy comes up to Jesus and he's got a question his question is what must I do? Now, what's the answer to that? What do you do to get into heaven? Nothing, right? What do, what, do you, what do you have to do to make it, right? What do you have to do to attain to uh, a status of being accepted by God? What is the answer? The answer is you don't. You can't, right? It, Christianity is not about doing. So this guy is coming at Jesus, but he's asking the wrong question, Right? He's asking a question from the wrong background. And Jesus does something very interesting that he does throughout the Gospels. He answers according to the question. All right? When people come to Jesus with loaded questions, Jesus gives loaded answers. Right? When people come with misconceptions, Jesus will sometimes give them the invitation to clear up their misconception. But Jesus doesn't feel the need to chase somebody down and say, no, 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 no you got it all wrong. Let me fix this right here. Let's, let's back up to point number one. And Je- Jesus is willing to say, no, no, wait, wait. If this is as far as you want to go, I won't push it farther than this. So Jesus answers him according to his question. Um, Verse 18, and Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. So Jesus says, okay, if you're interested in doing, stick with the law. If your obsession is what am I going to do? How am I going to earn favor in God's eyes? Jesus says, you know what, the law is, if, if you're, you're not asking what does, you know, you're not asking how do I respond to Christ. You're asking what do I do to justify myself in the eyes of God. And if you can follow the law perfectly, you're good. You can justify yourself in the eyes of God. Now, with the obvious caveat being that no one can follow the law perfectly. But Jesus answers him according to his question. And then in verse 20, and he said to him, well, back up. No, we'll get on. Verse 20, and he said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth up. And looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, One thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. But at these words, he was saddened, and he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. So to his credit, you've got to give this guy some credit. This guy says, No, 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 that's not what I'm asking. He says, I'm serious. There's something missing that I need. Right? And Jesus um, I don't want to say he realizes, but Jesus says, okay, you're asking an honest question, right? You might be coming at it from a, from a little bit of a 
wrong perspective, okay? But you're asking a legitimately honest question. You're saying, no, no, the law has not brought me into fellowship with God. What is missing? Right? Which is not the same thing exactly. So the guy's wording's a little bit off, but he's asking deep down an honest question. So Jesus gives him an honest answer because it says Jesus looked at him and felt a love for him. Jesus said, okay, if you are seriously asking, I will seriously give you an answer. In your case right now, what you must do is sell what you have, get rid of it, and then come follow me. Now, this, uh, this verse is like a lot of verses in the Gospels. You could, and people have, extrapolated one verse into a doctrine and say, well, if you really are going to serve the Lord wholeheartedly, obviously you need to sell everything you have and give it away to the poor and then come follow Jesus. And that may not be false in every situation, but it's certainly not true in every circumstance. Because we've got to remember, what is, what's the picture here? What's going on? Right? This guy is coming to Jesus with a perspective of, what do I do? How do I earn salvation? And what's the answer? How do we earn salvation? We don't. We understand from you know, the whole New Testament, the point of the gospel is that we don't earn salvation. You know, Galatians uh, 3, Paul says, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect in the flesh? Ephesians, in chapter 2, says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So, as Jesus is talking to this guy, okay, he's not saying, once you sell all you have, you will have earned your right to be in the kingdom of God. Okay, it's not what he's saying. What, and, and this is important, because we're going to see, as we're looking at some of these different responses to Jesus, all right, the problem with this guy is not that he has riches. The problem is that he has self-reliance, okay? This is a guy who says, okay, Jesus, I can do it if you just tell me what, what it is. I just need a little bit of insight, and then I'll take it from there. Thank you very much. Right? If it's money, I can buy whatever you need. I can take care of things. I can move things. I can organize. I have leadership abilities. Right? I can do. And Jesus is really saying, if you want to do something, you need to let go of your ability to do things. Your self-reliance is holding you back. And so don't think of it um, like, you know, it's not like by selling all that he has, he's gaining the kingdom of God. It's more like by selling all that he has in this specific instance, he's emptying his hands to receive what God has for him. And that's a totally different thing. That's not, you know, so that's why it's important for us to not take this verse and say, wow, the Lord's calling me to sell all I have. If your hands are perpetually filled with what you have, then it may be time to consider selling what you have, right? But in, unless that's the case, Jesus is talking to a specific individual. He's saying, okay, in your case, what's holding you back from really understanding fellowship with God is that your hands are full. You've just got too much stuff right? And this guy couldn't handle that. This guy just had a little too much self-reliance. And verse 23, Jesus looking around said to his disciples how hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus answered again and said to them, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. (coughs) They were even more astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? And looking at them, Jesus said, with people it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. So, you know, again, this is another part. Jesus is not saying that rich people can't enter the kingdom of heaven. But what's he saying? It's hard. And part of the reason it's hard is because 
just as it works out, it's very easy for rich people to be self-reliant. Because if you have a problem, what do you do? You pay for it, right? If a pipe breaks, you hire a plumber. If the house burns down, you collect insurance, right? If, if the coverage start, if you start running low and you only have a three-month supply of food, you buy more, right? You have your, you know, you have your diversified account and your portfolio and all these things, and, and you can live really an atheistic lifestyle and still claim to be having fellowship with God. So Jesus is acknowledging right here, riches are a very easy thing to get in the way, right? And so he's, he's just giving the disciples that acknowledgement. He's saying it's not impossible. Um, he says, but it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And Gail Irwin uh, used to always say, you know, you can get a camel through the eye of a needle, but you've got to grind it up really fine. And by the time you get it through the eye of a needle, it ain't a camel anymore, right? And so, and that's the reality. If we're going to you know, the riches cannot be what's holding us back. And so we've got this case of self-reliance here, all right? And then it goes on, verse 28, Peter is kind of missing the point, go figure. Peter began to say to him, behold, we've left everything and followed you. Peter says, you know, you told this guy to sell everything. Um, we've left everything. Seems to me that uh, it's kind of like a case of we did it, he didn't. We get bonus points for that or something. Right? And Jesus said, truly I say to you, there's no one who's left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he will receive a hundred times as much now in the present age. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms along with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and last first. And Jesus basically says, sure. Peter says, so do we get anything extra? And Jesus is like, yeah, okay. Right? Jesus isn't really giving Peter a whole chunk of thought. I mean, he's acknowledging, yes, there's rewards for sacrifice, right? But really, his emphasis is, we're talking to the rich young ruler, and, you know, Peter's sidetracking a little bit. But if we move on from there uh, to verse 32, we're going to shift, and now we're going to see a different interaction with Jesus. And so it says, they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking on ahead of them, and they were amazed, and those who followed were fearful. And again, he took the twelve aside and began to tell them what was going to happen to him, saying, Behold, <clears throat> we are going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priest and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit on him and scourge him and kill him, and three days later he will rise again. Now, that sentence is what you call clarity, right? Jesus told him, We're going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be handed over to the Pharisees. They're going to hand me over to the Gentiles. They're going to kill me. And then I'll rise again. Which is kind of ironic because as we watch the disciples' response in the rest of the gospel, right, they're totally thrown off. They totally didn't see it coming. They had no idea what's going on, right? And in the gospel of Mark specifically, and I think uh, I like it in Mark that he does this, every time we see Jesus give us a heads up, a foreshadowing of what's coming, it's followed up immediately by the disciples talking about who's the greatest. And it's just a fact of life that it is very, very hard to listen to Jesus well when you're obsessed with your own self-promotion, right? And uh, I mean, it's just, it's just, it's impossible. And I like this idea of Peter, you know, talking to Mark, saying, okay, you know, retelling his story to Mark and saying, you know, Jesus told us this, and every time he told us that, it was like, 
We totally missed the point because we were so obsessed with who was going to be in charge. We thought we were all so great. We were so hot and awesome, right? And, and we missed it. And he was telling us every time and we just wouldn't listen. And there's a sense, I like just that idea that Peter's narrating this to Mark saying, we missed it, right? Because we were obsessed with something else. We weren't focused. And, and again, it's coming back to this idea, okay, if anybody wants to follow me, he must what? Deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Right? The rich young ruler said, no, nah, I'm not quite sure about the deny myself part. Follow you? Sure, as long as I don't have to deny myself. The disciples really had the same ideology from a, just a little bit of a different perspective. And so immediately, right after Jesus says this, we get to verse 35, and it says, James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus saying, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Have you ever had somebody say that to you? I'm going to ask you a question, but I want you to say yes. Right? What's the question, right? And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant that we may sit, one on your right hand and one on your left, in your glory. Wow. So these guys, you know, we said earlier, they're missing the point. Uh, rather dramatically. Because these guys are still focused on Jesus establishing an earthly kingdom. In their minds, Jesus is going to Jerusalem to overthrow Rome, to overthrow the religious system. He's going to do something this week. Right? And he was saying something about dying, but that must be metaphorical. Um, so he's going to do something this week. He's going to be in power on top of the world. Maybe he can make us number two and number three. Or even better, he can make us like split number two, like two silver medals, right? Instead of a silver and a bronze. So, Jesus, can we sit on your right hand and your left hand when you're, in your, you know, when you're established? And what's Jesus say? It, it's in, well, before we go on, they missed the whole point of what Jesus is trying to say, right? Because they are interested in self-promotion. They are unable to see what Jesus wants to do, to see what Jesus is trying to communicate, to hear what Jesus is saying. They're unable because they are interested in self-promotion. So you've got the rich young ruler who's interested in self-reliance. You've got James and John who are interested in self-promotion. And Jesus says to them in verse 38, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I'm baptized? Now, if they had been listening, they would have said, that might be worth thinking over. But they said, yep, we're able, in verse 39. And Jesus said to them, the yup part wasn't actually in the original text, by the way. Um, and Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you shall drink, and you shall be baptized with the baptism with which I'm baptized. But to sit on my right or on my left, this is not mine to give. But it is for those for whom it has been prepared. Jesus says, you guys just have no idea what you're asking. And really, to be merciful, I'm not, and you know, out of Jesus' mercy, he doesn't grant them what they're asking for. I mean, he does to an extent. You know, they are given a place of honor in heaven. And there's the 12 thrones for the 12 apostles, right? There is, there is some perks that came with being the disciples, right? But um, James and John are going to be the first and last of the 12 disciples to die. And so they do get a sense, they do get some extra honor in some ways, but it's not the honor they're shooting for, right? It's they're going to drink the cup that he drinks. They're going to be baptized with the baptism that he's baptized with. They're going to get the full power of God. They're going to get the fullness of the Holy Spirit. They're going to get everything that Jesus offered to them, but it is not going to look like what they thought, right? And they missed what Jesus was trying to say because they were interested in self-promotion. And, um, you know, and then in classic form, the other 10 said, hey, why are they promoting themselves above us? We should get rights, first dibs on self-promotion, right? 
And so hearing this, the ten began to feel indignant with James and John. And verse 42, calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them, but it is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. <laughs> Jesus says there is no room for self-promotion in the kingdom of God. It's just, he says, you know what, guys? If you want to listen to me, listen close on this. There's no room. I'm not interested. It's not how my kingdom works. It's an upside-down kingdom. The first are last, and the last are first. And so we're getting these different interactions, right? We're getting to see what Jesus is doing, how he's doing it, how people are responding. So you've got the rich young ruler who's what? He's self-reliant. You've got James and John who are what? They're self-promoting. And then we're going to come for the last guy for tonight. Um, it kind of end, gets to end on a high note, which is always exciting. It says, Then they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a large crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. When he heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many were sternly telling him to be quiet, but he kept crying out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him here. So they called the blind man, saying to him, take courage, stand up, he's calling for you. And throwing aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus. And answering him, Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and began following him on the road. That, you just got to love a, a chapter like that, a passage like that, right? Don't you love, there's just something just so fulfilling and satisfying about this. This guy has a request and Jesus grants it. And it's interesting because, you know, the last, first two guys, first two groups we talked about tonight, Jesus does not grant their request. And really, they all come to Jesus with a question, and Jesus answers them all back with the same question, and more or less, he says, what do you want me to do? Why are you calling me good? What, like, what's your, what do you really want? Right? Bartimaeus is the one who gets his request answered. So just kind of backing up and looking at this passage overall, in verse 47, when he heard that it was Jesus, the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many were sternly telling him to be quiet, but he kept crying out, all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So this is a blind guy, okay? In an agricultural society, if you're blind, you can't work. If you can't work, there's, no, there's really not very much provision for you. This man is reduced uh, economically to virtually nothing, right? Socially, he's the guy you walk past. You kind of uh, check your phone as you're going by so you look busy and preoccupied, right? This is a social outcast, but he can hear enough to know there's a crowd going by, and he can pick up enough conversation to know it's Jesus in the crowd. And he begins to cry out, right? This guy isn't just hoping that Jesus will do something for him. He is desperate. He knows, I have really one shot at life in, any, in kind of a, in a meaningful, you know, practical ability to do something with my life. And it is going to be found in Jesus or it's not going to be found, right? This guy's got a sense of desperation. And it says that the people were sternly telling him to be quiet. You know, this is a group of farmers. This is a group of, this is not like, um, this may or may not be a nice crowd. You know, this isn't just the 12 disciples. Um, sternly telling somebody to be quiet, right? If you're trying to shut up a beggar on the road, much less a blind beggar, that's probably not looking very friendly, 
right? I mean, there's a good chance this guy's getting worked over, right? And he's crying out. And they start telling him to shut up. They might start beating him up a little bit, roughing him up, right? And he doesn't stop. He cries out even louder because this guy knows I have one shot. I've got one chance right here, and it exists in Jesus Christ and nothing else. And so Jesus says, send him. He says, stop, stop. send that guy over here, right? And you got to love, you know, classic human response. The crowd goes from like, dude, shut up to, oh, come on, you know. Uh, Hey, no, I wasn't kicking him. I was kind of just helping lift him up, right? We're just kind of easing him over there. Um, There's this, you know, the crowd has got this whole like, oh, sure, 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 you know, nice guy bit because Jesus is looking our way. Um, But this guy comes to Jesus, and Jesus says to him, what do you want me to do for you? Word for word, it's the exact same thing he asked James and John. Right? He says, what do you want me to do for you? And he asks these guys, what do you want me to do for you? And James and John take that to say, we would really like some, some power. We'd like a position. We would like, some, we would like to be recognized and known and identified. And Jesus says, you have no idea what you're asking. And this guy comes up to Jesus, and Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And he says, I want to see. Right? And Jesus says to him, your faith has made you well. And immediately, he regained his sight. Right? There's a guy at the beginning, there's a rich young ruler who's self-reliant. In the middle, there's James and John who are self-promoting. And in the end, we get Bartimaeus who is desperate for Jesus. Right? He is obsessed. I have no other options. What do I want? I want to see Jesus. Right? And, and, and this ties in because what did Jesus say? If anybody wants to follow me, he's got to deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. Which young ruler said, gee, I'm just not crazy about that denying myself bit. And James and John said, gee, I'm, I, I don't know. That's, you know. As long as I'm still in control, I'm happy to deny myself. Right? And Bartimaeus says, I just need Jesus. Right? And that's, you know, and I just, and it's so simple. Right? Just let go of what's, holding, of what's holding us back. Let go of what we're putting our confidence in. Right? And yet it's so humbling. It's so terrifying sometimes to hit that point. And, and the beautiful thing is that the Lord wants each of us to come to that point of Bartimaeus. And oftentimes that comes through a reduction of our own strength. Right? The Lord, you know, we're, we're, we forget how pathetic humans are really, right? I mean, I mean, you think about it. Have you ever, like, compared, you ever go to the zoo and compare yourself to the, human, to the animals and just think about, like, you ever watch what they're capable of, right? I mean, how fast, uh, you know, a deer can run, how much an elephant can lift, how much a lion can rip out, you know, how much flesh a lion can rip with its mouth in one bite. We need forks and knives to cut up our food, for crying out loud, Right? We have no hair to keep us warm. Our nails are like, I mean, you could scratch somebody, but you're not going to rip somebody to shreds. Like we are, you know, like our eyesight is awful. We can't smell to save our lives. We can barely hear anything, right? Like we are the most pathetic creatures physically on the planet, right? But we tend to get into this self-promotion idea of like we are so competent and so with it and so in charge of our destinies. And we get in this mindset of the rich young ruler. We get in this mindset of James and John. And the Lord is really not interested in that. You know, if we come to Jesus like the rich young ruler and say, what do I got to do? Just tell me what to do, and I'm your man. I'll take care of it. Jesus is going to say, you know what? Just stick with the law. If that's all you're you're willing to do, 
the law is as far as, as it's going to, you know, the law is only as, as far as you'll be able to go. And if we come to Jesus with this idea of self-promotion, he's going to say, you know what, you guys, are, you're kind of clueless, no offense, or offense. Um, but Jesus loves to see us come to this point of desperation, right? And Bartimaeus got desperate because Bartimaeus was blind. And so he had a, he had a reality stare, and he had a reality just hitting him in the face every day that I cannot progress unless something changes, right? That's the reality for each one of us. Sometimes we just don't recognize it as well. And the Lord's very gracious. He is very capable of humbling us to that reality because we are all as blind as Bartimaeus. We just all like to think that we're the rich young ruler, right? And the Lord is great at bringing us to that point. He can break us down one step at a time, right? And really, in a lot of ways, it's up to us how quickly or slowly he's going to do that, right? How far does he have to go before we say, I'm just desperate for you, okay? I'm just letting go of all my ideas, all my goals, all my, you know, plans, and all my self-confidence, and I'm just willing to let you have it. And so that's really, as we're looking at how different people respond to Jesus, right, which just all ties back to chapter 8. If any man wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And each one of us are given the invitation to follow Jesus. It comes with a call to deny ourselves. Right? And that looks different for each one of us. But the Lord is extending that call with that responsibility. The Lord is saying, I'm, I am asking you to empty your hands so that I can pour my blessing into them. Right? If our hands are full with the world, our hands are full with our own egos or whatever else, um, the blessing, there's, we can pack them in so tightly that there's really no room for the blessings of God, right? And so there's a beautiful point where we just get to experience the fullness of God pouring into us. So if you're at a point where you're feeling like you're blind, that is an exciting place to be. If you're at a point where you're feeling very self-confident, I would recommend that you pray for humility, right? And so, you know, all of us, we are all in this section of scripture, right? All of us are in here. A lot of times, we're kind of all three groups, people at the same time, right? But if we want to experience the transformative power of Jesus Christ, if we want to experience the power of the Holy Spirit, it comes with that desperation, right? And so there's no, there's nothing wrong with being desperate for Jesus, right? I, I told, I just, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of exciting sometimes. You know, sometimes you hit a phase of life where it's like the Lord will kind of say, all right, I will teach you everything you want to know right now. Or I will teach you as much as you are willing to learn, right? Um, I think it was A.W. Tozer who said, every person has as much of God as they want in their life. No more and no less, right? You get what you want. You get what you ask for. You get what you really ask for. You know, and like the rich young ruler, there's honest questions and there's not so honest questions. But we get... We get what we ask for. So deep down, we're all as blind as Bartimaeus. So we can all ask with that same level of desperation and experience the same level of God's power in our lives. That's the invitation. Because if anyone wants to come after me, Jesus said, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Right? It's, it's that simple and it's that profound all at the same time. So, Lord... We want to be people who are desperate for you. We want to be hungry for you. God, we want to be driven to know you more. We pray that you would be our consuming passion, 
our magnificent obsession. God, be what we, what we hunger for in the morning, what we crave in the evenings. We pray that your Holy Spirit would, would transform us. We pray that you would help us to humble ourselves, God. God, we don't, want, we don't want you to have to break us down. We'd rather just humble ourselves the easy way and admit that we need you. We pray that you would fill us up. God, heal our broken bodies, heal our broken souls. Just use us for your kingdom. Use us for your glory. Transform our hearts and our lives. Fill us up and send us out. All for your kingdom and your glory. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.